Welcome to Slate Church. We are so glad that you're tuning in today and pray that wherever you are, this message will bless you. If this impacts you in any way, we would love to hear about it. Send an email to mystory@slatechurch.com. Good morning. Good morning. It's good to see you here at the Inn of Waterloo. What a great atmosphere it is this morning. I'm excited for what God's going to do. Why don't you go ahead, grab your seat as you do. High five a couple people. Tell them you're glad to see them here today. Meet someone new. This is awesome. It's so great that we get to come into this place and we get to worship God together. We get to lift up his name. Uh, we, we get to gather around his name, the name that is above all names. And, and I just really pray that this would never be something that we would take for granted as a church, that we get to come into this place. Let's never take for granted that we get to come into a place like the Inn of Waterloo, even the numbers that Brandon was just reading there a moment ago. Uh, let's not just allow those to be numbers because, of course, we know that every single one of those numbers represents a person, a person made in the image of Jesus who he loves and who he has created for a purpose on this earth. And I think it's incredible that we get to see uh, what God is doing and we get to see the numbers of what that is. But let's not underestimate the impact that uh, people that God is having on people's lives and that those people's lives are having on other people's lives as well. It's really an incredible, incredible thing that we get to be here this morning. And as Brandon mentioned, my name is Luke Betker. I'm one of the lead pastors and uh, as lead pastors, we really are so thrilled for what God has been doing in our church. It's amazing. Two years ago, um, you know, we wouldn't have guessed that we would be where we are right now. We had a vision for it, but we didn't know exactly what it might look like. And we're so thrilled with what God's doing. We can't wait for all that he has for us in the future of our church. And we're excited for all that he has for you as an individual as well. Really believing great things for you. And I believe that today is a day where God can and wants to reveal to you all that he has for you in your future. And so, listen, we're going to get right into things this morning. Is that okay? We jump right in. So we're going to jump right in. We're going to uh, read our Bibles this morning. We're going to turn to Ephesians 3, verse 16 to 21. And if you don't have a Bible, that's okay. You can follow along on the screen. But I want to read this to you, and I think that this is a really powerful verse, especially on this first Sunday at the Inn of Waterloo for us. This is what it says. Paul is writing and he says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Hey, why don't we pray, and then we're going to jump into this a little bit, all right? Jesus, we thank you so much for who you are, and we thank you that we get to be here at the Inn of Waterloo for the first ever Sunday service here. Father, let us lean into you like never before today. Let us be expectant. Let us be ready to receive what it is that you want to impart to us today. And we just thank you so much for what you're doing, and we just pray that above all that your name 
would be glorified in this place. And everybody said, come on, everybody said, amen. Come on, we all know that the 9 a.m. crowd is the most righteous and holy. And if there's any crowd here at Slate Church that is going to say a powerful amen, it's the 9 a.m. crew. Am I right? Amen. Okay, we're getting there. We're getting there. Well, hey, uh, I have a love-hate relationship with my phone. Anybody else, you have a love-hate relationship? Maybe a couple people. Some people don't want to admit it. Some people probably should admit it. I don't know. But a bit of a love-hate relationship. I love my phone. I love that I can use it to stay connected with the world, use it to message with people, use it to post photos online and go on Instagram and do all these fun things. I think that's great. I love that I can read the news on my phone and stay up to date with everything. That, that, that's always fun. One thing that I, I don't like about my phone, especially around this time of year, is that Apple always pushes out new updates for my phone, okay? And I, I, I like the new features that the updates bring. That's okay. I'm all right with that. Uh, but sometimes I don't feel like Apple is being entirely honest as to what it's doing to my phone, okay? And so I went investigating a little bit. I went digging. I opened up all the back-end code, and I, uh, I tried to figure out what is actually going on here. Of course, anybody who knows anything about code probably knows that I just made all this up because I don't even know if back-end code is a thing when it comes to this, okay? But uh, I, I, I opened it up, and I found within it um, what I can only uh, consider to be some honest iPhone updates, okay? And this is the stuff that Apple doesn't want you to hear, but I'm going to tell it to you right now, okay? So get ready. Uh, I'm a bit of a whistleblower on this one, but I think this information is, is too important for me to keep to myself. So here, here's what I found listed in the code. This is the stuff that didn't make it out to uh, marketing for Apple. And it said this, iOS 13, Apple wrote, get ready for some big changes to your iPhone. For example, we noticed that your phone is an ancient three years old. With iOS 13, we've included a bunch of little updates that will make your battery drain more quickly and your phone run more slowly until you give up and buy a new phone. <laughs> iOS 13.1, we see that you haven't bought a new phone yet. Don't worry, your battery now lasts a maximum of 20 minutes. <laughs> iOS 13.2, playing hardball on the new phone thing, huh? Uh, well, this update, unless your phone is charging, it is dead. Uh, iOS 13.2.2. You know how we at Apple have spent like the last 10 years meticulously crafting ways to make you want to look at your phone more? Okay, so now we have this thing called screen time, which will shame you for looking at your phone so much. <laughs> iOS 13.2.3 makes it so that your family group text is broken into three separate text threads. Even though four people in the group are under 30, none of you will be able to figure out how to recombine the threads. Your phone is constantly beeping, and it will become impossible to follow the conversation. iOS 13.3, finally, after many sleepless months for our best programmers, we have perfected technology that causes your battery to explode in a shower of beautiful fireworks. Yes, it's completely safe. Yes, you will have to buy a new phone because your previous phone exploded. No, this is not covered by, covered by Apple Care. All right? But nonetheless, we go on updating our phones, and, and we update them, and we're happy that we update them and all that kind of stuff. But it seems like whenever I go to update my phone, I get a prompt that says, iPhone storage full. Make more room. Has anybody ever had the dreaded moment where you went to take a photo of your child taking their first ever steps, where you were proposing to your fiance and your friend was supposed to capture this moment and have it forever, only for your phone to tell you iPhone storage full? 
You know what I'm talking about. I fight against this every single day in my life. I'm like deleting apps, deleting things, trying to figure out a way to make it. And the moment has passed by. It's already gone. There's nothing that, that I can even do in that moment. It seems like our iPhone storage or phone storage, whatever, is always full. No matter what, I'm always fighting against this kind of thing. And generally, my phone is full of a whole lot of photos, okay? I don't know about anybody else. I've got thousands of photos on my phone. I don't even know what half of them are. Uh, most of them are, are, they're all about the same 10 things, and I've taken 100 photos of the same subject 10 times, and uh, it's just full of a whole bunch of stuff. I don't even know what it is, and, and uh, all of a sudden, all those moments that exist in the past are now taking up space for what you want to capture in the future, and, and I think that this is exactly true of our lives today. That there are moments in our lives, perhaps things that we've done, experiences we've been through, and all of these things are taking up the space in our lives for what God wants to do next. And maybe our lives are, are just full of an expectation that God doesn't want to move anymore in our lives. Maybe our lives are full of things that were really relevant and important to us in a time gone by, uh, but now they are taking the space in our lives of what God wants to do next in our lives. But we got to remember that what's next is connected to what's now. And, of course, what's now has only been made possible by what has been. Of course, that's true. But if we don't have any room in our lives for what God wants to do now, in the here and now, in this time, it, now, in us and through us, then we will never get to the next. The dreams that God has for us, the plans that he has, the things that we're praying for, we'll never get there because we are too full of everything else that is distracting us and that is taking up room in our lives. And listen, this isn't to devalue anything that has been in your life. What has been in your life has shaped you. It has made you into the person that you currently are. It has brought you into this moment. But we need to live with a mentality that declares there is more still ahead. That the best is yet to come. That God is not only a God of the past, and he, he is a God of the present, but he is also the God of our future. And so we need to make sure that we are making room for more of him in our lives. And if you're taking notes this morning, you can go ahead and you can title this message, Room for More. Room for More. You know, really, we branded this whole uh, launch season as Room for More. You've probably seen it. You've seen it on our advertising. You've seen it on the newspapers that we released. We, we, we've been talking about Room for More. And that's exactly what we've done with this move to the end of Waterloo. We've made more space, physically, certainly, for what God wants to do in our church. We've got a lot more room here to be able to hold a lot more people. We've got more room for kids on site. It's, a, it's an incredible thing that we've been able to make this room for more. But just as we are making more room for people in the physical, we need to make sure that we're making room for more in the spiritual as well. We need to make room for more of God in our lives because God has more in store for us. Now, I believe that God is really the God of more in your life. And He's an exceeding God. He's bigger than your doubts. He's bigger than your insecurities. He's bigger than your inabilities and your deficiencies. He's bigger than your inability to understand how big he is. He fills the earth and, and everything in it. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and he is able to do immeasurably more. You can't even imagine how great he is. Beyond your wildest thoughts, beyond your wildest dreams, God is bigger, and he's got more for you. But we need to make sure that our, our lives are not so full of everything else that we don't have room for what God wants to do in us and through us. 
And really, I hope that this sermon can reach anybody in this room right now who maybe feels like at one point or another, or perhaps at this instant in your life, that you don't measure up. Perhaps you're here this morning and you feel like you just don't measure up. Maybe you feel like you don't measure up according to the standard that the world is setting for you. Maybe you feel like you don't measure up to what it means to be a Christian. I don't know what it might be. But in the verses that we read earlier, Paul talks about measuring. And he, he talks about measuring the intangible. He, he talks about the height and the width and the length and the breadth of God's love for us. And he's writing to the people of a city called Ephesus. And this was an influential city. It was an important city in its day. And the temptation of the people there would have been very similar to the temptation of us today, which is to measure our success based on our measure of economy or our measure of popularity or even our measure of opportunity. And Paul is saying, look, don't measure just that which you can see, but work on measuring that which you can't see. He's saying, I pray that you would get a revelation of the height and breadth and the depth of the love of God. Because if you're just measuring how much you can fill yourself with the tangible things in life that you can see and that society is telling you that you need, then there will be, uh, where will the room be for the intangible in your life? That which is truly powerful, that which gives you power so that you're actually filled with all the fullness of God. We've got to make sure we don't just measure waist size, <laughs> Right? Uh, I don't just want to know how big my hips are, how wide my hips are. I want to know the width of God's love for me. I don't know about you. We've got to make sure we're not just measuring our, our bank account and how high the number can be in our bank account. We need to make sure we're looking at we know how high God's love is for us. We need to start measuring the things that are actually important. We've got to make sure we're not just measuring the amount of uh, social media followers that we have uh, on a weekly basis, but we could actually know uh, the breadth of God's love for us. And, and if uh, the, those things that I just mentioned, they're not bad in and of themselves. But if your whole life is lived in pursuit of more of these things, then we will always be left wanting. Instead, we need to make more, uh, we need to make room for more of God in our lives. We need to make God central in our lives. The central thing that we desire, our most significant longing, the thing that we cannot live without. Make room for more of him to move in your life, and he will begin to move you toward a future with more than you could ever imagine. And this morning, I want to present you with just a couple ways that we can ensure we are making room for more of God in our lives. And again, as we make room for more of him, he moves us towards the more that he has in our future, all right? So the first way that we can make room for God is we need to live with expectation. Turn to your neighbor, tell him, expectation. Turn to your other name tell them, I got expectation this morning. You know, faith is an expectation. It's a confidence assurance that a negative circumstance still has the potential to produce a great purpose in your life. Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. It means that we can walk into a dark situation and we can light it up because of the faith that lives inside of us. Because Christ lives in us. Christ in me, the hope of glory. As Paul writes in Ephesians that we read earlier, he says, I pray out of his glorious riches that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. You know, if you got faith, Christ lives in you. And when we understand this, we live with expectation. 
with an expectation that God can and wants to do more in our lives. And as we live with expectation, we create room for more of God because we know that he's not finished with us and we are looking for opportunities in our lives to make his name known. It's an expectation, an expectation to know that even if the sequence of things don't make sense in your life, that God who lives outside of time knows the end from the beginning and is still at work. So listen, if God is the A to Z in our lives, then perhaps uh, we need to learn to trust him with the L-M-N-O-P of our lives. If he is the alpha and the omega, if he is the first and the last, the beginning and the end, then let your faith be an expectation that before the book is even read, he has written the last chapter of your life. And we need to live with this kind of expectation. I don't know about you, but it helps me to know today that I don't have to live in suspense as to whether or not I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living because faith is an expectation. And faith enables me to wake up in the morning and say, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And since this is a day of my my life. I've got goodness and mercy standing on my left and standing on my right. Hey enemy, I know that you're trying to come at me today with all kinds of garbage, but have I introduced you to my security team? They are called goodness and they are called mercy. And they remind me every single day of my life that no weapon formed against me shall prosper. Come on, can I get an amen this morning at the Inn of Waterloo? Praise God. Praise God. Faith is an expectation. Let the favor of the Lord be the lens through which you view life. Knowing this, that he who began a good work in you will see it through to completion. I might not know the details of when or how, but my faith gives me an expectation. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power at work within us. As we live lives with an expectation that God can use us, that God is going to move through us, I believe that he will. And we, can, we create room for more of his power in our lives. We, we move through life with an understanding that he goes before us and that he's got a plan for us. We need to make room for more by living a life that is full of expectation for what can be. And here's something that I really love about expectation. You know, expectation is contagious, isn't it? It's contagious. I remember when I was living in Sweden, um, I, I used to go to hockey games there in our city, Vesteros, and I still don't know what the hockey team is called. They're Vik, V-I-K, Vik, worst name of a hockey team I've ever heard. I don't know. But I would show up at some of these hockey games, and to be honest, I wasn't uh, too invested in whether they won or, or whether they lost. It was kind of whatever. Uh, in fact, I got free tickets because there was a Canadian player playing on the team, and they would give us free tickets and stuff. So I'm like, whatever, I'll go show up and, and check out this game, uh, Swedish Hockey League. I'm from Canada. Okay, all you Swedes, just so you know, the homeware uh, of real hockey in this world, okay? Um, so I would go in kind of not expecting a whole lot, but all of a sudden I got around a whole lot of people who had a really high level of expectation for what could be in that game. And the next thing I knew, I was losing my mind, cheering for this team. You know what I'm saying? All of a sudden, I'm singing all the songs. I'm doing all the chants. People watch hockey in Sweden like they watch soccer in Sweden. They've got the biggest drums out. They're banging these things, doing these war chants. And all of a sudden, I'm joining in right along with them because faith and expectation is contagious. And all of a sudden, I caught it. You know, think for a moment about John the Baptist. He was really familiar with the pressure of high expectation. John the Baptist was a baby 
conceived by his parents after they were visited by an angel that prophesied his birth. And when his mother, Elizabeth, became pregnant, John's father, Zachariah, was so shocked by it that he told the angel he couldn't believe it because they were too old and Elizabeth was barren. And by the way, this is just an aside here, uh, but I thought it was important to put this in. Don't you just love that time and again in Scripture, God takes what looks like a barren situation, according to us, and he produces fruit through it? I, I think it's incredible. And not only that, but... God takes people who think they're past their prime, uh, people who think their years of contributing anything are behind them, and, and he says, hey, if you got a pulse, you got a purpose, and you've got a purpose in this season, and I'm not done with you yet, and I'm going to do something through you that is going to impact this world. So let that be a word to anybody in this place right now, and maybe you have counted yourself out from what God wants to do in you and through you because you have just experienced some great things in your past or some negative things in your past, but maybe you feel too old or too done or too whatever for God to move in your life, let it be a word to you this morning that God is not finished with you yet and that he has got more in store for your life. I don't know where you're at, but God has got more in store for you. And so John was born and he was the voice that prepared the way of the Lord. So this generation that was around at the birth of Christ had heard of the possibility of his coming into the world. And, and this expectation was that he, he would come and the Messiah would set them free from oppression and deliver them. And you know, one thing that you got to do when you have expectation is to get yourself around other people that have got expectation. Don't surround yourself with people who are expecting nothing because you're going you're gonna, to uh, catch their expectation of nothing. But get yourself around people who have an expectation for what God can do in their lives and in your lives collectively. Get yourself around these kind of people who have a faith for the future. It's important because expectation is contagious. And so when John the Baptist was in Elizabeth's womb, six months into her pregnancy, an angel appeared to her cousin, Mary. This is Mary, the mother of Jesus, right? Mary, uh, Mary, did you know? Mary, Christmas time, Mary. We all know who this Mary is. And this angel appears at this time. And, and the angel told Mary that she was going to have a baby, but Mary was still a virgin. And this didn't make sense to her. And it's kind of hard to believe a revelation that completely contradicts the circumstances that surround it. Uh, and Mary went to visit Elizabeth because the angel told her that she was also expecting. And again, the best thing that you can do when you're expecting is to get yourself around someone else who is also expecting. Get around somebody who's expecting and your expectation will rise. Uh, that, uh, that, by the way, is why it's so powerful to gather like this in, in church. You know, you could probably sit at home and watch a church service on your computer screen. And whatever, that's one way uh, of doing this. But there's something powerful about getting in a room of people with a level of expectation of what God can do. There's a great atmosphere of faith in this place and we catch expectation. You, you know, that we got people here at our church, and uh, they're worship leaders, but they never pick up a microphone uh, every single week. And every single week, they lead worship, but they don't pick up a mic. For instance, um, our, our muscle team. Our muscle team are the people who get here early, and they set everything up. Everything that you're looking at has been made possible because of our muscle team. And at the end of the day, they pack everything up. And, and it's pretty incredible to see what they're doing. But you know why they come in here in the morning the way that they do at crazy hours and, and come and set all this stuff up? It's because they got an expectation of what God can do in this place today. 
they come in here and they've got a faith. And they know that they're not just setting a chair in place, but they are preparing a spot for somebody to come into this room and sit in that chair and hear a word from God that can change their life, that can change their legacy, that can change their kid's life, and on and on throughout all the generations because they show up with an expectation of what can be. I mean, take our kids, volunteers. They've got an expectation of what God can do in the lives of children right here in Waterloo Region. And they come and they prepare and they sow into these kids because they have an expectation of what can be. We've got our car park team. And they know that they're not just standing out there showing you your spot. But they are actually out there and they are welcoming you into holy ground. Because they've got an expectation that God is going to move in this place today. And so... We see when when Mary and Elizabeth get together, Elizabeth said the craziest thing just happened. When you got here, the baby in your womb made the baby in my womb jump for joy. You can't see it. It's invisible. But there's something inside of you, Mary. What is it that made what's inside of me jump for joy? Of course, we know today that what was inside of Mary was Christ Jesus. And come on, I believe that today as we recognize that Christ lives within us and we live with an expectation of what can be, we can go out and get ourselves around other people. And because of what we carry, it is going to cause others to jump for joy. It's going to trigger something in their spirit that says, what do you got? What is going on? Why are you so expectant for what can be in this life? Let's live expectant lives and make room for more. Room for more of God to move in us and through us that other people would jump for joy in their spirit because they have encountered Christ in us. All right, second way that we make room for more of God in our lives is we live for his glory. We live for his glory. I recently started reading a fantastic book. It's called The Road to Character. It's written by a man named David Brooks. It's a number one New York Times bestselling book. It came out in 2015. And in the beginning of the book, Brooks talks about the difference between resume virtues and eulogy virtues. He talks about the fact that most of us measure success in life by what we do and what we have when we should be measuring it by who we are. And the eulogy virtues are those things that are they're deeper in your life. They're the things that would be talked about at your funeral. Things like how brave you were, how generous you were as a person. The type of relationships that you built over the course of your life. And Brooks outlines a story in the beginning chapter of this book about how he was driving home one day. And NPR was airing an old radio broadcast of a program called Command Performance. Which was a variety show that was sent out to the troops during World War II. It was a show hosted by the biggest celebrities of the day, Frank Sinatra, Bing Crosby, Betty Davis, Cary Grant. And the episode that he happened to tune into was the one broadcast that happened right after VJ Day at the end of the war on August 15th, 1945. And he noted that the Allies had just completed the noblest of military victories, yet there was no chest beating. Bing Crosby came on and summarized the mood. He said, today our deep down feeling is one of humility. And Brooks notes that the overall feel of the program was one not of people telling themselves how great they were, but it was one of solemnity, and their first instinct was to remind themselves that they were not morally superior to anyone else. Brooks arrived home before the program ended, and he listened to the rest of it in his driveway before going inside his house, and he got inside his house, went into his living room, and he turned a football game on, and he, he remembers what happened next. He says a quarterback threw a short pass to a wide receiver who was tackled almost immediately for a two-yard gain. 
the defensive player did what all professional athletes do these days in moments of personal accomplishment. He did a self-puffing victory dance as the camera lingered. It occurred to me that I had just watched more self-celebration after a two-yard gain than I had heard after the United States won World War II. You know, we live in a culture that glorifies itself and glorifies ourselves. And we bring glory to ourselves by living out and striving after resume virtues that signal to the world around us how fantastic we are at doing things in life. And we long for the eyes of others to rest upon us so that they can celebrate how amazing we are and bring glory to our names. But if we want to create more room for God in our lives, we must make sure that we are glorifying his name and not our own names. And when all our lives are concerned with is bring glory to ourselves, we, live, we leave little room to bring glory to God in our lives. Perhaps we relegate God to nothing more than a proverbial thank you God at an award ceremony after all the cameras have been pointed on us for the entire night. And as John writes in John 30 verse 30, he must become greater and I must become less. And so we must wrestle against the big me that exists within each and every one of us. We live in this culture that encourages us to see ourselves as the center of the universe. Between 1948 and 1954, scientists asked 10,000 young people whether they considered themselves to be a very important person. And the results came back and 12% of those people said yes. The same question was asked in 1989 and the results came back 80% of boys and 77% of girls said yes. And I can't even imagine what that number might be today. And scientists have something called the narcissism test where they ask a series of questions like, uh, I show off if I get the chance because I am extraordinary, true or false. And the medium narcissism test score has risen 30% in the last two decades. Uh, by 2007 and only increasing since then, over 51% of people stated that becoming famous was one of their top goals in life. You know, we seem to live in a culture and a society that preaches loud on every single street corner and from every single platform the gospel of self-trust. A gospel that tells us we need only to trust ourselves, pursue our own interests, keep ourselves at the forefront and the center, and then perhaps at some point we will be glorified in our lives. But we should not be living according to the gospel of self-trust. We need to be living according to the gospel of Jesus Christ. A gospel that states love God and love others. And we must come to grips as Christians with the fact that if we place ourselves at the center of everything in our lives, then we have only our own strength to rely upon. And I can tell you right now from personal experience that my own strength is not enough when life starts to crumble. I can't hold it all together on my own. But if we rely on God and we put him at the center, if we are filled to, to, to the measure of all the fullness of God and strengthened by his power through his spirit in our inner being, then our lives will loudly declare to those around us, Ephesians 3.20, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power at work in us, not according to our power, according to his power at work in us, to him be the glory. To him be the glory, not to me be the glory, not to us be the glory, to him be the glory. You know, the Hebrew word uh, for glory is kavod. And this word can also be translated as weight. And I love this so much because as we carry God's glory with us, it weighs something. And our own glory, it weighs nothing. It's superficial, not supernatural. 
But God's glory is weighty. It can be felt in the room. It is something that we take with us, and it weighs in our lives, but it doesn't weigh us down. It's weighty, but it's empowering. After all, Jesus says in Matthew 11, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But we have a responsibility as Christ followers to put God's glory on display. Earlier in this message, I was talking about how we measure things. And our measuring of things generally happens on a more superficial level. We might measure with a ruler. And generally, we go around in this life and we take our ruler, our tape measure, uh, our measure, our way of measuring things, and we hold it up to other people and we try and get a measure of who they are. And so we meet somebody and we ask them, what do you do for a living? And we hold our measuring stick up to them. We hold our ruler, our tape measure up to them. And they say, well, this is what I do. Okay, well, that gives me a measure of who you are as a person then. Or we say, what neighborhood do you live in? And they say, this neighborhood. Oh, you live in that neighborhood. That's a nice neighborhood. Wow. All of a sudden, I'm going to extend my measuring tape and my measure of who you are as a person is getting a whole lot larger. What school did you go to? Oh, you only went to that school? Okay, my measuring tape is going to shrink a little bit more. And we measure one another in this way. But God measures differently. You know, he doesn't use a measuring tape, but he actually uses a scale. God measures weight. How weighty is your life? God measures glory. He measures the potential that he has put into us that has a weight to it. And if you let people uh, try and measure you and define you with their tape measure, you will compromise the essence of who you are in order to get an inaccurate measure of yourself anyways. And maybe that's not popular, but uh, popular is not purpose. And listen, we read about Joseph in the book of Genesis. Joseph, uh, he was 17 years old. He was not popular at all. His brothers hated him. He wasn't allowed to sit at the cool table with all his brothers. And not only that, but they took him, they beat him up, and they threw him in a pit and left him to die. But God was not preparing him for popularity. God was preparing him for purpose. And God doesn't look at popularity. God doesn't measure the way we measure. God doesn't look at how many friends or followers we have. God looks at our faith. And God wants to know what is the measure of your faith. Not your face. Your faith. (laughs) Not your fans. Your faith. Let's remember to glorify God in everything that we do and not live lives for the glory of ourselves, but live our lives for the glory of God and make room for more so that we can experience the more that he has. Think with me for a moment about the life of David. David was a man after God's own heart. Most of us know the story of David and Goliath. Even if you're here and you've never been in church before, you've probably heard the idea of David and Goliath perhaps just used as a metaphor in life today. I don't know. But Goliath was a big problem. Quite literally, he was a big problem. But we need to make sure that we don't let the size of the problem become bigger than the weight of God's presence in our lives. You know, a lot of Christians, a lot of churches, a lot of people, we get out the, the measuring tape when it comes to the challenges in our lives and when it comes to opportunities in our, our lives, and we, we measure them up and we say, no, I don't think I can do it. I don't think it's going to work. I'm not going to be able to handle it. It's too much for me. It may be too much for you, but you got to remember, it's not too much for God. See, when David sees Goliath, he knows Goliath might be tall. In fact, everybody's been measuring the height of Goliath. We've all been looking at him and getting our measuring tapes out, and we've all been talking about how tall this guy is. Every other person in the Israelite army has been thinking about how tall Goliath is, measuring him based on our human measurements. But David knows Goliath might be tall, but I've got the weight advantage. David knows going into this fight that he has got the kavod, the glory of God, with him. 
He's got the name of Jesus, the name of Yahweh. I've got Jehovah Jireh. You might have height by the world's measure, but I've got the weight of God's measure in my life. I've got the glory of God working in my life. I can face any giant. I can climb any wall. Why would I be scared of how tall when I know that God reigns over all? Give glory to God. Work for his glory and not your own glory. Make room for more of him in your life. Make sure your life isn't just filled up with praise of how great you are, but instill Instead, fill your life with praise to his name. Let your life be filled to overflow with his presence so that all around you might know that it is not in your power that you're able to do what you do, but it is only because of the power of Jesus Christ living within you, the power that comes from being rooted in him. To him be the glory. My final point this morning, how we can make room for more of God in our lives, is we must live lives that love others. Live lives that love others. If you're anything like me, then maybe you're a big softy. <laughs> and you love love, okay? This is me. I love love. I love romantic gestures. I love going to the store and buying my wife flowers on Valentine's Day. I, I love watching a romantic movie. I love doing all of these types of things. There was a time in my life where I even wrote poems to my wife all the time. I don't know where those days have gone. Maybe we'll have to bring them back. I think it's because they were the lamest poems you've ever heard, okay? I don't know. That was what I gave Victoria, I think, for her first birthday or first Christmas. I wrote her a book of poems, and that's going in the safe, and it's being locked up, and nobody is ever reading those, okay? Um, but listen, when Victoria and I first started dating, it was pretty obvious to see that we were in love with one another. And, and you should know, we met in Bible college, and I was in my second year of Bible college, but Victoria was only in her first year of Bible college. And where we went to Bible college, there was a rule that in your first year of Bible college, you weren't allowed to date anybody. But I was in my second year, so no problem for me, okay? And listen, what I did is I actually went to the principal and asked his permission, and he said that we were allowed to date each other. But he said, keep it on the down low. There's three months of school left. Just keep it, keep it on the down low. Nobody needs to know. And so uh, we tried to keep it on the down low, but I'll tell you what, anybody who looked at us would have known that we were together. It was the most obvious thing because that's the way it is when we are in love with, uh, with another person. It's obvious to see that you're in love, isn't it? You can look at a young couple, and you know that they're in love. They're holding hands every where they're kissing each other, they're doing nice things and nice gestures for each other. And this isn't only in a young couple, it's in an old couple as well. But you see that one another are in love. You can see it. But I wonder when people look at you and your life, can they see the love of God by the way that you act in your life? Can they tell that you love God? Can they tell that you're in relationship with him? When people look at you, is it obvious that you love God by the way that you love other people in your life? Uh, you know, Paul writes, I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power. There's an author, John Bloom, who writes, Jesus being God is love. And his love covers a multitude of sins. His love seeks to serve rather than be served. His love seeks to save the lost and lavishes the returning prodigal with grace. His love is patient and kind. It is not envious, boastful, arrogant, or rude. His love is not irritable or resentful. does not insist on its own selfish way. Rejoices in the truth and bears all things. This is the kind of love that Jesus said would be the distinguishing mark of people who follow him. That it would be the most remarkable thing about them. That, that, that people who love like he loved as Christians, we should be more focused on, on, on love and, and pursuing loving one another. And we should be the most love dispensing people on earth. And to be honest, I've had to step back and ask myself at times in my life, is that me? Am I that kind of person that would be known if you looked at my life by the way that I love others? Would you know that Christ lives in me? Would you know that? 
And there's been times where I've come to the conclusion that perhaps not, uh, maybe not. And in Luke 10, 27, Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And many of us have heard this Bible verse many times in our lives, but have you ever really considered who actually is your neighbor? Who, who actually is that person? Our neighbor is not just some class of people that we have established as being our neighbors and we select them and designate only them as being worthy of our love. The question should not be who is my neighbor. The question should be for us today, to whom can I be a neighbor today? And the condition of our hearts and our faith in God will largely determine our capacity to be a neighbor to other people. We must love others, not just the people that we find it easy to love, not just the people who are exactly like us, not just the people that we do life with every single day, but we must pour out love to all people. We must be a neighbor to all people that we come into contact with. God pours his spirit into us, and he enlarges our capacity to love others. And so we must pour out what God has poured into us and make room for more in our lives as we love others, for God to pour more of himself into us. We must love other people, and we must love others as Christ has loved us. It's so important that we get to do this. And as we do it, we begin to make room for more of God to work in our lives, and room for more of God to take us and do all that he wants to do in us and through us. As a church, we're making room for more. We got to understand that as followers of Jesus, we're making room for more on a corporate level, but we got to be making room for more of Jesus in our lives on an individual level, day after day after day. We can't just say, well, yesterday's church experience is all I need. No, no, no. God has more in store. Make room for more of him in your life. Live a life that is so full of expectation for what he can do. Live a life that seeks to glorify him alone. Live a life that serves to love other people. Understand that even if you're going through a tough time in life right now, that, that still you can make more room for God to work in your life, to, to glorify him with your life. Your purpose outweighs your pain. Your destiny outweighs your history. Your crown outweighs your cross. Your hope outweighs your hardship. There's room for more. As lead pastors of Slate Church, we believe that there is room for more here at our church. That there is room for more people. That there is room for more of God's presence. That there is room for more impact. That there is room for more life change. That there is room for more transformation in people. And we believe that moving here to the Inn of Waterloo for our morning services is just one step into seeing the more that God has for for us. We're just getting started as a church. We know that there's more in store and we are creating room for more. More faith, more praise, more souls, more salvation, more healing, more miracles, more lives transformed, more families mended, more chains falling off, more captives set free and more freedom that will abound. Let's make room for more. Even today in your life, think of ways that you can make room for more and ask God to come in fill you fresh with his presence. Why don't we stand to our feet in this place just as we close. Thank you for watching. Again, if you were impacted by this message in any way, send an email to mystory@slatechurch.com. You can also visit slatechurch.com and fill out one of our online connect cards. We would love to see you in person at one of our Sunday services. As well, you can stay connected with us by following us at Slate Church on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.